It's good to be with you this morning. I missed being with you guys last week. I got to visit Summerville Road up in Decatur, a group that helped support me in West Palm, and that was a, that was a treat to get to see them and uh, hopefully encourage them, but I definitely miss being here with you all. Uh, we're going to be finishing up our study on the body of Christ and, and finding and using the gifts that God has given us in the body of Christ specifically uh, to end this, this year. Uh, another year has gone, and it's, it's over. Uh, that was quick, right? Uh, so now we've got another year to prepare for, to be ready for, and I'm looking forward to it uh, and, and studying and learning together with you. The main focus next year is going to be on evangelism. Uh, we're really going to try to pick up our evangelistic efforts, so I hope that uh, you're ready for that and looking forward to that, and uh, I'll have more information about that next week. Uh, today, though, we're going to be looking at uh, this last text in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and, and learning about the, the gifts that God has given us. That's what we've been studying about uh, throughout the last month. Uh, so, so Paul has been helping us see and understand, helping the Corinthians see and understand that we're all blessed with some gift in the body of Christ. God is the one who has given the gift to you, whatever that gift is, and your gift is valuable. It's needed. You can't say, uh, I'm not a part of the body because I don't have that gift. Whatever gift you have is a gift that God has given you that is valuable in the sight of God. And we can't look at other people and say, well, they don't have the gift that I have, therefore they're not necessary. No, everybody is necessary. And so Paul has tried to get us attuned to the spiritual gifts that God has given to one another, as diverse as they are, and he's taught us to value even the gifts that we might, might think are lesser. Uh, and for us to love one another requires us to patiently live with one another as we're all different and we, we all have different abilities and, and different ways of looking at things, different opinions. And so chapter 13 has really hit on that idea of loving each other. One, one of the greatest uh, chapters in the Bible. But today as we come into chapter 14, he talks more about these gifts and he talks about them uh, in a way that kind of helps shed light on how we might, uh, might view our gifts maybe how we uh, would see others' gifts as well. Uh, and, and really, this is like at the core also of the message that Paul wants us to see why it is that we're here. Why are we together? And, and why are we given the gifts that we're given? You can just imagine somebody here who, uh, I'm not going to name any names, uh, but they do an amazing job at cooking chocolate cake. And it's the best chocolate cake you'll ever eat. And you just imagine that person taking that chocolate cake and they bake it for themselves and they've crafted it and they've gotten so good at it and then they eat it all by themselves. That's a tragedy, isn't it? I mean, that's a tragedy. That's not, that's not why God gave them the gift to bake that cake, right? That, that's not, and, and, and whatever, that, that's, a, that's a silly example. But any gift that you have, we could see how it's just selfish. How could you possibly take that gift and keep it all for yourself or use it for yourself and for your own benefit and not consider others, not consider the body of Christ? And really, as we come into chapter 14, this is what Paul is trying to get at. You are not here for you. I am not here for me. And that, I think, is at the core of what Paul is trying to say in chapter 14. And in all the lessons that we've learned this year about becoming the body of Christ, 
I want you to really, really take this in. Because Jesus, whenever he came to this earth, he showed us that he wasn't here to serve himself, but he was here to serve everyone else. He was here to provide for everyone else. And even his disciples, on the night that he's going to be betrayed, he washes their feet. Why does he do that? Because it's not about him, but it's about them. It's about serving other people. And he set that example for everyone else to see. So our perspective on gifting and and the abilities of the brethren, the brothers and sisters all around us, has to be... uh, Painted with that color. It has to have that kind of lens that the gifting and the abilities of people around us and the gifting and the abilities of my, that I am given are not for me, but they're for everyone else. And so God desires for us to use them to build up the body of Christ. You go through and just count the number of times that he says to build you up, to build you up, to build you up as, as we're reading through this chapter. And we're not even going to read all of them because there's even more at the end of this chapter that we're not going to get into today. But, but as, you're, as we're reading, just notice that key phrase, building up. Let's start with the first five verses. It says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's pause right there. Again, I've said this before. I'll say this again. You read prophecy. You read tongues. I read prophecy. I read tongues. Immediately, I click off. Like, okay, well, that's a miraculous spiritual gift that was available in the first century, but not so much today. Well, let's, let's just try to draw some application for ourselves as we study this. Don't turn off. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So as you read through these first five verses, you see him talking a lot about prophecy and talking a lot about tongues. Well, why is prophecy the more excellent gift. As you're reading through this, you notice how he, he kind of downplays speaking in tongues and he lifts up prophecy. You know, these are all miraculous spiritual gifts that we might just want to shove to the side, but let's, let's think about why is he saying what he's saying? Why is he telling us prophecy is the more excellent gift? And let's see if we can glean from that an understanding about the gifts that we have in our lives. First of all, the, the gift of prophecy, he says, is able to build up the whole church. The prophet has a word, a message that's given to him by God. That is a message that that is going to enlighten those around him about God's will and God's God's word and what God's done in the past and what God is doing in their lives. So the prophet is able to speak. You know, we think about prophecy as being one who is foretelling the future. Really, the word the prophet is, is just a mouthpiece of God. That's what a prophet is. 
And sometimes that mouthpiece of God is, is going to reveal the future because God wants this to be revealed so that later a prophet of his can say, this is how I did that thing that I told you I was going to do a long, long time ago. But the majority of prophets and their words are not future telling, but they're speaking words directly from God that are giving some kind of building up. They're giving some kind of encouragement and maybe even some consolation, some comforting to those who need it. So the prophet, he says, is better than the tongue speaker because the prophet is able to provide some help to those who are in the congregation. Whereas, he says, the tongue speaker might not even be understood. We can all see that, right? He, he goes into to, to comparing the tongues and the prophecies, and he, he downplays the tongues because he says, in some cases, these things that they're saying are mysteries that nobody gets and nobody understands. And as you continue, you notice he, 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 he talks more about the tongues, and he explains how sometimes the tongues are just not that valuable. Verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, if, your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Now you read through this section and you see very clearly why he's comparing prophecy and tongues. He says tongues can very easily have no value to the people around you. It has to be a tongue, that uh, a language that's being spoken, whatever it is, has to be understood, has to be interpreted, and it needs to reveal something. It needs to be prophetic. <laughs> Why would it just be words that are randomly spoken? And, and why would they be spoken in a way that no one understands? Tongues just simply means that they have the ability to speak a different foreign language. You just imagine one of these uh, get-togethers you've been to, and your cousin uh, comes in, and, and they start speaking in some other language, maybe Mandarin or, or, or Japanese or something like that. They just start speaking in that language. And at first, right, you're really impressed. Wow. That's pretty awesome that you learned that language and that you can speak it so well. You really sound like you're from that country. But eventually that, you know, wow, would go away. And you would say, okay, um, what are you saying? <laughs> There's no value in this for me. Like, wow, that's impressive. You've shown how wonderful you are that you have learned this language, but... 
I don't know what you're saying. And, and if they keep talking that way when no one understands them, you're just going to avoid them because there's no use talking to them, right? Well, that's the situation in Corinth. They've got people who've been gifted with the ability to speak in foreign languages, which is really helpful if someone comes into the congregation from a faraway place that they can speak their language. That might actually impact them and help them to believe in God. But for the most part, that's not that helpful. And the Corinthians appear to be making much of this gift to speak in a foreign language. I mean, it'd be pretty cool, right? To never study a language and then to know it and be able to speak it, that'd be pretty awesome. But Paul says it's not that valuable. Because the words that we say need to have meaning. The words that we say need to have an impact. You see, tongues were never the goal that God had. He didn't send Jesus uh, and then send the Holy Spirit so that men could do some pretty amazing, miraculous things <laughs> and, and miraculously be able to speak in many different languages. And yet, that seems to be where the Corinthians are at. I find that fascinating, that that we as a people could become so enamored by a certain skill or a certain gift. Now, we're reading through this, and we're like, oh, tongues, oh, prophecies. That's hard for me to connect with. But what gift is there that someone else has that you're enamored with? That you think, wow, that's an amazing gift. I wish I had that gift. Well, why? Why? Is it because... You think it would be cool for everybody to look at you as the guy that learned a foreign language? You're the guy, you're the girl who, who has this wonderful ability and you can blow everybody away by your ability to do whatever it is. You see, that's, that's not the goal that God had in sending his son. That's not the goal that he had in revealing his truth to us. And so what, what Paul is revealing to us, even though there's talk about these miraculous spiritual gifts, what he's revealing to us is that we might have a tendency to focus on things that are at the top level, that are not that valuable really, but that are impressive. And so we need to be careful not to focus on things that are just impressive, but that we're looking deeper at things that have value, at things that provide meaning to us and can have an impact on our lives like the prophecy would have in the first century. And in our day, we don't have prophecy, but we can speak the words of God in a, in a similar way because God's word has been revealed. As we speak God's word to one another, we are becoming mouthpieces of God very similar to the way that prophets in the first century would have. And so we don't need a divine inspiration and God speaking in our ear to tell us the things. We have it revealed. We just need to know it. And we need to share that. And that has extreme value and meaning in the lives of other people. Well, Paul doesn't end there. I'd like to read the last of what we're going to read today, 13 through 25. It says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. 
I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. As you read through this text, you see Paul is insisting on something deeper than surface level. He's saying all of your tongue speaking and, and trying to do all these impressive things to make people think much of you carries no value. In fact, and those tongues were supposed to be to help an unbeliever believe. But whenever an unbeliever comes into your assembly, you guys are just speaking gibberish and nobody understands and they think you're all crazy. Why are you coming together if nobody understands anything anybody says? But he's making a very valuable point that whenever we come together to pray, to sing, to study, whatever it is, that we do it not just with our spirit, but also with our mind. I like this phrase that he put in here um, in verse 21. The law, it is written, by people of strength tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. That's a, re a reference to a prophecy that God is going to bring about the miraculous gifts of tongues. But the latter part says, uh, even then they will not listen to me. See, the value is not in the tongues. I mean, the ability to speak in foreign languages is great, but the value is not in the tongues, and that's what he's trying to get across. The value is in the message, as he says there at the end, revealing the secrets of your heart. And, and so that we will all fall on our face, worship God, and declare that God is really among us. You see, Paul is calling for us whenever we come together to be engaged in our minds, to be engaged in our spirits, to be fully here. We're supposed to be the true worshipers of God, Jesus said in John chapter 4. And the true worshipers of God worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? To worship God uh, in a way that engages the spirit and engages the mind. How do we do that? Well, let's think about that for just a second. That means... Number one, that the messages that we're singing to one another as, as we re, you know, read these words. I love how Roger doesn't 
lead the same songs over and over and over and over again. I mean, I've been in congregations where we have the same songs over and over and over again, and it becomes so mundane. We're not even meaning the words. We're just so used to it. We can just put ourselves in cruise control and just... I mean, we know it. He makes us work for it. He makes us think about it. Okay, And there's value in that. And so what we need is to do the work whenever we're here. We need to do the mental work to internalize the messages that God has given us in his word. The message of love, the message of forgiveness, the message of holiness, the message of faithfulness. These messages, these understandings that we have from God's word, they need to be more than just something out there that everybody else talks about, or that I could just speak at, at, at an instance whenever I'm called upon, they need to be things that mean something inside of us. They need to be in us. And so whenever we come together, we need to be fully engaged in our mind and in our heart. We need to strive while we're here to know God. And to feel invigorated by his love. You know, it's not enough to do one and not do the other. I think there's a lot of congregations throughout our country that focus more on one than the other. Or they feel satisfied in having one and not the other. Oh, we are just so devoted to the truth. We know the truth and we study the truth and we could tell you everything that the Bible says that we're supposed to do and we're not supposed to do. But as we come together, we just do the same old things and we don't even have to think about it anymore. We don't really feel anything. We just are doing what we know we're supposed to do because we know what's right. And then on the other hand, People who are so focused on feeling good and having their spirit engaged that that's what it's all about. And the word of God is not preached or taught or understood. The hard and difficult things are not wrestled with. But instead, everyone comes together to feel good inside and maybe feel zealous about their work in God. That's a good thing. We need that. The truth is a good thing. We need that. But we need them both. And this is what Paul is telling us. The body of Christ is coming together to build one another up to have both. Not one or the other. Not pitting one against the other, but having both. And that's what what Paul desires for us to focus on. That's why he says it's not enough to just speak in tongues and to get really excited and really zealous about the amazing things God is doing in our congregation. He says, that's good. You need to be excited about the amazing things God is doing in your congregation. You need to be zealous. You need to be passionate. But you need to know God's truth. And it needs to affect you inside and transform you as you live. That is God's purpose in having us come together. So if we're going to apply this to ourselves, we have to ask ourselves the question, why are we gathering here? Why are you here? 
Why do you wake up on Sunday morning and get yourself ready and wrestle the kids and get them all ready and, 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 and do everything you can to come into this building? Why? Well, Paul is saying it's not about you. It's not about you receiving recognition for doing it <laughs> or a pat on the back because you're, you're a faithful member who always comes. Or, you know, uh, lifting you up because of all your abilities that you're able to show off. And it's not about this being a social gathering, which is kind of the way the world around us looks at our coming together and our assembly. It's about just getting together with people you love and, and finding some encouragement and finding some joy. That's not what it's about either. He says, we're here, as he repeated throughout the text, to build one another up and to be built up so that we are men and women who know the truth with our mind. Our mind is tuned in to God's will and we love with all our heart. And, and we're not going to get there by staying at home. You know, the world around us is leaning more and more toward just not going to church services at all. They think they can do church it alone. <laughs> the word church means congregate, assemble. That's what it means. You can't do that alone. It wasn't designed to be done alone. We are, we are designed as the body of Christ to be together and to be building one another up in love. And, you know, I read a post this week. I, I shared it. Wilson, Wilson Adams had it, and I think it was so good and just really helped me focus in he brought up the fact that a lot of people are looking whenever they come to church to find some kind of feeling of enjoyment and satisfaction. And, and he said, it's not always about that. And this chapter tells us it's not always about that. If you're coming here to build up someone else, that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be fun or enjoyable. Sometimes it will be. Maybe a lot of times it will be. Sometimes we're going to rejoice with one another about the exciting news of the spiritual work that you're doing in the kingdom with your gift and that, that God is working through you to accomplish wonderful things. We're going to rejoice together in that. But sometimes, sometimes we're going to grieve with one another. We're going to grieve about the stumbling and the falling of our brother or sister in Christ. We're going to grieve about the trials and the temptations that Satan is throwing our way as we live this life. We're going to need to console one another and, and comfort each other in the hard times. And that's what makes this not just a social gathering. This is not a country club. But this is supposed to be a family where we not just we don't just come together to make each other feel good we come together to make each other better we we grow closer to god together and we grow closer to each other that's why we gather that's why you're here that's why you should be here that's why you should be here next week and next week and next week and next week because god has given you that purpose whatever your gift is is to be used to, to fulfill that purpose in the body of Christ. 
So how do we do that? Hopefully you're encouraged to do that now. Hopefully you see, okay, I'm here not just to check a box and to do the thing that's required of me, but I'm here to build up other people. But how do I do that? Well, we need to embrace this. This is our calling. This is your your goal in life as you assemble with the saints is to build up those around you. As we as we move into next year, we're going to talk about how the, the, the overall goal after we build up and we unite together is to go out there and to reach others and bring them in. And that's the mission of Jesus. But our mission in assembling together is to build one another up. Embrace that. Whenever you walk in these doors, be ready to build someone else up. In whatever way you can. Sometimes maybe a rebuke is necessary. Sometimes just a word of encouragement about something that they've done or something that you've heard about that they've done or just for being who they are. You don't have to even go into any detail, but just build one another up and, and, and encourage them to do things that they can do. And, and we need to commit to that. Commit to making your gathering with the saints purposeful. 2024, good time to think about that, right? Well, every time you walk in these doors, have a purpose in mind. Have a goal, have a mission to encourage somebody else. Not just to be encouraged, but to look for other people to encourage. You have to make that a part of your routine, a part of your life, a habitual kind of thing. And if you're struggling with that, we can always turn to God and pray and, and get back on the right track. He's willing to help us. This is why we're here. He wants us to do this. Of course he's going to help us do this. So ask God to help you if you're struggling to build other people up, to use your gifts in that way. And, and remember, as we're coming together, our goal is not just to lift up other people, but it's to lift up God. In lifting up other people, we're lifting up God. As, as people approach us and they praise us for what we're doing, let's point the attention to God and say, well, God has helped me to do this so that others are built up as they're building us up. So that others are realizing that we're not trusting in ourselves, but that we're trusting in God and God is answering our prayers and we're learning to have faith in him and not just think about him on the side every now and then, but put him at the forefront. And we don't need to think a lot of ourselves. Also, there's another thing that I hadn't really mentioned in all this. Talked about how we all have gifts. And you and you and you and you and you, and you, you all have different gifts. Everybody has different gifts. But sometimes congregations come together and there's a lot of people who want to have the same gift. And we feel as though we all have that gift. And, and so we're all just trying to do that gift. And we see that there's other areas that need someone to fill a gap. So if you want to build up the body of Christ, we need to fill the gaps wherever there's a gap. So learn to adapt to fill whatever needs that the body has. If you want to build up the body of Christ, you want to make that your mission and your goal, find the gap, find where something's not being done and fill the need so that the body is being built up. Ultimately, we want everyone here to feel valued, to feel supported, to feel very deeply rooted in their relationship with God and deeply rooted in their relationship with each other. That's what we want as the body of Christ. We don't want anybody to be left out. We don't want anybody to be forgotten about. We don't want anybody to be used as a doormat. 
We want to encourage and build up and lift up everybody together so that we together can accomplish the mission of glorifying God and bringing in the lost souls from the world around us. If you're here and you don't know your purpose, I hope that this clarifies it for you. We want you to know your purpose and we want you to start working together uh, for a collective purpose of glorifying God. So hopefully this has helped you uh, just kind of set the record straight. Probably a lot of things that you already know, but just make sure that this is your focus every time you come together. This is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Together, we can grow spiritually to the point where we resemble Jesus on the earth. That's the hope that we have in Ephesians 4. That God has given each member different roles, different gifts, so that we could build one another up in all of our ministries so that we can be refined and perfected and become images of God on the earth. That's where we're going. And I hope we're making progress on that. I hope you did this last year, and I hope you do next year as well. If you're here today and you're not a member of the body of Christ, you've not received the grace that God has offered to you, uh, you've not taken part in the building up of the body of Christ and become an active member, we want to help you and encourage you in any way that we can. If you know what you need to do, if you've not been faithful to God uh, and not, or not put your trust in Him at all, whatever it is, if you know what you need to do and we can help you in some way, please come as we stand and as